Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Read Up, the podcast where we talk about books intellectually and stuff. Today's book is The Dead Zone by Stephen King. And within The Dead Zone, I am joined by my favorite recurring guest star, Scott, from this from the DC film cast. I know it's a new title, and now I'm confused. <laughs> DC film squad cast. Ah, I know. I was so confused. It, it I, happens. Yeah. I'm glad that you removed the suicide out of the squad cast, though. There is really something nice about that. Nice family, wholesome fun now. Oh, well, we've we've been talking about it for – we really have been talking about it for a couple of years. Like, we even acknowledge the – the, the the cringe quality of it. It was it was a fun pun at the beginning, and we outgrew it. You know what? That's okay. I mean, we, I could say that we all outgrow our puns, but as you know, as we just know, that's not true. But you know, we 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 love we love some good puns. But I think uh, I think that was wise on your part. It's just a, a one. It's a little bit more of an approachable title, and two, honestly, it tells us it tells the listener a lot more about what your podcast is about or what the network is about without having to delve to like if you don't know what Suicide Squad is, then it's lost on you. But DC Films, even if you don't know what DC film is, you could be like, oh, film. I know what that is. <laughs> yes, thank you. You you have literally just um, verbally expressed our entire thought process over the last few months as we prep for the name change. Should have called me. Could have done it all. Could have done it for you in thirty <laughs> seconds. Oh goodness, that's goodness. Well, have have you been well since the last time you've been on Read Up? Oh, absolutely. Life life is actually. I think when I was on here last time for Dr. Sleep, life was a little touch and go, and, and life has kind of settled down. Uh, I guess everyone else, uh, at least from my network, knows that I, I'm expecting a third child, so life is going to get really interesting really fast. One could argue that it's probably already really interesting, and it's only going to get better from there. I can say that. Of course, it's really funny that I'm just I'm just thinking going, Wow, Tim, this is the third appearance in a row where you brought me on to talk about a Stephen King novel. I just feel like I'm like your I'm like your king pal. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to come up with some sort of Stephen King, you know, pun here for, you know, well, actually, I would make a reference. They were a quartet, but you don't even know what that's a reference to. So I'll have to leave it at that. A quartet? So, so, it's a Dark Tower reference. Oh, uh, yeah, you're right. No, I I did that. Wait, what book, what number book is that mentioned? I think it's mentioned in one. If it's not mentioned in one, it's definitely mentioned in two, which is Drawing of the Three. Because I've, I've read the first two. Okay. Uh, I might have even read part of the third one now that I think about it. But honestly, that was a long time ago. And so, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about the Dead Zone, Scott. Uh, this was a recommendation. I actually had you on for this because you recommended the Dead Zone to me. I was on a big Stephen King kick for a long time, and I read tons. I read a bunch of them actually that I have not made it to that have not made it to other read up episodes yet. Um, 
but the dead zone you were I, I had actually weirdly always avoided for some reason i just have memories actually you know what it is as a kid i remember having memories of the movie but like just like commercials or caught on tv and having no conception of what was happening and then i remembered the usa show uh, and I, I think I just in my brain associated it with the show and I was like, well, I didn't watch the show. It didn't seem to interest me. So maybe the book won't interest me either. And you were like, no, you should shut up and shut up and read this book. So, <laughs> so I did. And it was excellent. I really, this was one of, I, this is one of out of the Stephen King books that I have read, which is a fair chunk, but he, he has a lot of them. Uh, this was one of my, this is in my top half oh absolutely uh this i I don't know if i can't remember if i told you this or not but this book has an extremely similar reading history with me as the story that i told about my history with the shining i don't think you told this story about the dead zone so tell us the story of the dead Zone. well actually before before you do that um i'm going to read the i'm going to read the back of the book so people have a conception of what we're talking about in case we delve into anything here so here's the here's the print on the back when johnny smith was 6 years old head trauma caused by a bad ice skating accident left him with a nasty bruise on his forehead and from time to time those hunches infrequent but accurate snippets of things to come But it isn't until Johnny's a grown man, now having survived a horrifying auto injury that plunged him into a coma lasting four and a half years, that his special abilities really push to the fore. Johnny Smith has come back from the void with an extraordinary gift that becomes his life's curse, presenting visions of what was and what will be for the innocent and guilty alike. But when he encounters a ruthlessly ambitious and amoral man who promises a terrifying fate for all of humanity, Johnny must find a way to prevent a harrowing predestination from becoming reality. That's a really good synopsis, actually. It is, because it actually covers, like, the three acts of the book. So, you know, you have your first act with Johnny wandering around, and then you have your second act with him as like in a coma and then you have your third and every third act with him being awake like it really does it really does summarize the whole book concisely without really giving anything away because there's important bits in all of those sections it's really good but tell us your connection to the dead zone well okay uh, i discovered the book actually my freshman year in college when the first season of the USA show with Anthony Michael Hall was airing, I was at a friend's uh, sorority house and just happened to turn on the penultimate episode of the first season. And it kind of intrigued me. Uh, plus, there was a really hot redhead actress in the show that kind of caught my attention. Not going to lie. Well, you were 18, so, so you know. I know, right? So that made me go, oh, and this is based on a Stephen King novel? So I picked up the book and read the novel uh, that uh, that year and really dug it. And I, and I started watching the show on USA, and then I eventually came back and, and found the Cronenberg film starring Christopher Walken and, and Martin Sheen. And then... Uh, I don't know, like almost 10 years later, I was in that Kubrick and Cronenberg class that I told you about with The Shining. Mm-hmm. And it was just funny that of the eight movies and eight books that we read, 
Well, one of them was The Shining by Stephen King because we watched the Kubrick film, and the other one was The Dead Zone because Cronenberg did the movie. David Cronenberg was the director of the movie. And so that was the second time that I read uh, The Dead Zone. And then when you, you know, slyly tweeted me to invite me to come on the show, I picked up the audiobook from Audible and, like The Shining, for this podcast, read the book for my third time. Did you find that the book improved or declined on your rereads? I've actually found a decline on this most recent reread. Now, not like I I nostalgically rated it a five on Goodreads. And then after this reread, I just kind of knocked it down to a four. I mean, a four is a very good rating. You know me. Like I rarely give fives. It could be, you know, one of the most important books of all time. But I'm like, but this section is not great. So four. You know? Yeah. And so I, I, I did do that on this last one. I was just kind of like, huh. Like, it just it it just wasn't, like, it, it was still good. I still enjoyed it. But I found just enough to critique that I adjusted my rating to a four-star when after I finished this reread. Um, what, what was it? I guess, uh, just so we don't have to dance around the book, let's do slight spoilers for The Dead Zone. Um, moving forward, but nothing too major. But I guess what was it that had a, a decrease for you? Like what what gave it some kind of diminishing return? Uh, how how of its time certain aspects of the book are like mm. Stephen King intentionally sets it in a very specific time and really wants to reference a lot of real life politicians and real life controversies and situations that really dated aspects of the book. So while there's aspects of the Greg Stilson character who very timely and very uh, prescient to a reading in 2020 and i thought i thought that actually increased my the value of the book the the overwhelming need to set it specifically in the mid 70s considering that this was a book that was originally published in 1979 just dated a book that i felt like if that wasn't there this book could have a timelessness to it like the shining does like, you could almost forget that The Shining is taking place in the 70s. Like, you could read The Shining and feel like it's taking place almost any time. And this really feels like it, it, it has to take place in the mid-70s. I can, see, I can see how that could be a detriment. I find that when going to books, you know, that, that reference them themselves in a, in a particular era or, uh, of some kind, I kind of pretend that it's intentional that it's written in 79 or even and even though it obviously is because it was it was written then but it would be like let's pretend that it was written in say 2020 but they set it at that time because they want to draw political parallels to today's world which you could still draw on and see the timelessness of those things and so or maybe even just because sometimes the having a cell phone solves a lot of problems that creates tension in a story 
um, in the 70s. Like cell phones in the world of The Shining solve a lot of problems. If you unplug, right. if you unplug the radio, but your cell phone still works, well, you can still call for help because you have a cell phone. Yeah, and I, and I will also admit that I feel like probably part of that was also influenced by the fact that I did watch the Cronenberg film, which I think is 1980, 1980, 1981, mm-hmm. and then I watched the USA series, and they like the story works so well no matter when it's set that I kind of liked – I appreciated more the timelessness, and so – the, the the way the novel works so hard to set itself in a particular time, just personally, subjectively, just dropped it down a little bit for me this time. And it was and it was weird. It was probably also because it was so heavy on the politics that I felt I I felt that was unnecessary to be so realistic and specific when you could have been a little bit more fictional in general and still have gotten some of the same points across. Do you think that it's realistic and specific these uh, these political matters because he's commenting on the politics of the time and we know Stephen King likes to get involved in politics he has very strong opinions yes, about absolutely. the government and that and, is I will admit that is an aspect of Stephen King that I find annoying like over over political commentary I find grating and so I just felt like this was just another example of that kind of he's got to throw in his jabs or his commentary when I just want the good I just want the really good story and it's in there and mm-hmm. Stilson is gr- a great example of an amazing villain that I I just found the other stuff extraneous I could definitely I could definitely see that. And honestly, I think under different authors, I would agree with you that it'd be like, oh, God, here we go. Just like just tell me the story. I'm not interested in your opinions and I'd like just move along. But I think that Stephen King, like the authorship of Stephen King and the authority that he has over his own work makes it makes it interesting like there's always this play of kind of like agency in his stories like who has the power to act and why should you do that and that's kind of a, like a big deal in the dead zone um but i think that his overt political commentary plays into that idea of agency and that like should you be acting or should you not be acting and you know and sometimes you need to get specific to make to make worthwhile comments about things. And so I don't know, it kind of worked, it kind of worked for me here, but I don't think it would work for me with other authors. If I wasn't so invested in the author as a person, as much as I am in their stories, because like Stephen King is almost like beyond his own work. Right. So he's he's a mystifying figure. He's like an Alan Moore that way, even though we know a lot more about, Stephen King that we know about Alan Moore per se, but they're kind of mystifying figures, you know, they're, it's not Watchmen, it's Alan Moore's Watchmen, you know, so Stephen King's The Dead Zone. So, right. I, I, so I'm okay with, I'm okay with the insertion in this case, because it's very difficult to separate the author from their work, and I think that's its own special talent sometimes. 
Yeah. Like I said, it, it, it surprised me because, like I said, this this wasn't my first rodeo. It was the third time reading it, but this time it it just got me. And it, it and like I said, it, I, I guess it never clicked with me before, and it just clicked with me this time. And I will be honest, it's probably just because of our current climate, where any kind of political talk, I personally just I, I shudder. And, and just and just avoid because it's like oh I'm tired of it. So I, I I guess I will say I think it's I think it's not a victim of the work. I think it's just a victim of when I decided to read this work this time. No, that makes I think that makes I think that makes a lot of sense. Books hit us at different moments in our lives. You know, like you can you can read something in say high school and think this is terrible. I hate this so much. Like I, my example of this, I think I did a I think I did an episode on it a while ago, but it is a separate piece which I, I read it my freshman year of high school and I thought it was just the most boring thing I had ever read. And then I read it again as an adult and I was like this is one of the most moving things I have ever read because the book is all about nostalgia and reflecting upon the past. And when you're 14, you don't have a lot of past to reflect on. You're like not, but for most people, not a lot has happened. So, um, so I like that this book hit something. I hit like this book hit something for you in a different way. You just didn't read it and get the exact same thing out of it. I enjoy, I enjoy that take, but what are some of the things about it? Like, because you still gave it four stars. So what are some of the things about it that you absolutely, like, beholden to? A couple of things. And it, and it has to do with our protagonist and our antagonist. I find Johnny Smith to be a prime example of how Stephen King can write the perfect everyman. Who, due to some twist of fate is put in a wonderful supernatural situation like only Stephen King can. And while I do not have any psychic abilities, I I empathize for this man and everything that happens with how one cruel twist of fate just Fs up his life like nobody's business. And you just feel it for him the entire time as if you you are Johnny Smith. And I feel like because that everyman, just the fact that he named the character John Smith is such a brilliant stroke because he becomes the everyman with the most generic name possible. I, it, it, because, you know, even everyman comes from a character called everyman in medieval, you know, plays. And I, and I, and I think calling him John Smith accomplishes the same thing. I think you're absolutely I think you're right. I think that's a those are excellent points, but please please continue. And then you go to Greg Stilson and oh my god, do you just love to hate this man? I mean, when your first introduction to this character is as a Bible salesman who kicks a dog to death, I'm sorry. It's like Boom, you hate this man immediately. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go straight to jail. <laughs> and and the yeah. fact that what he does is he – what Stephen King does in this book is he weaves all these little vignettes and people together that probably for 200 pages, you're not going to figure out why, they're, why he even mentioned them. 
But then you see the journey, and then you realize that he's giving you all the backstory so that by the time the characters finally meet, we're ready to cook with gas. Because Johnny doesn't even discover Stilson until like the last third of the book. But yet he's been there as a presence the whole time. And you're just like, what is up with this guy? And then it's when he finally like grabs him or shakes his hand at that political rally. And then you understand what is going on. But it, but you, but you, uh, but you buy it because you have seen the rise of Stilson's character. It's that dramatic irony of you know these things that the characters do not know, and mm. and I mean, and I've and once again, it's uh, all this has also been informed by the adaptations. I've seen Johnny Smith played by Christopher Walken and by Anthony Michael Hall. I've seen Stilson played by Martin Sheen and Sean Patrick Flannery. And so it's like I just it's just this weird amalgamation of these two are just sort of this David and Goliath in this in this book that I I just find the relationship between those two characters so great. I really don't have anything to add to that. I, I'm in perfect accord with that with that answer. I think you really nailed what I what I even found really really clever about the story is that you have you basically have um everyday like the everyman, everyday Joe, John Smith versus like versus the state it's almost like joe versus the volcano if the volcano was a terrible 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 person and um who happened to you know be a government employee and um oh shoot i had a i had a thought from earlier and i completely i completely lost it but Anyway, um, I think my more my point with uh, more my point with agreeing with you is that I think Dead Zone does what a lot of King books, what King does really well is take those disparate characters and you go, oh, what a fun little vignette! Like that's exciting, and and there's payoff for your patience, and I um, because it, if you most King books, if it's not say like the shining where it's like, here are your three characters, like have a good time. Um, I think most King books are really built around this. Like, all right, we're going to introduce you to this person, but then, the, then they're going to go away for about 150 pages. And then we're going to bring you to this person and they'll be back in 75 pages. And then it goes and it goes and goes. And I really, he paints a world really well. And I think the dead zone is a, one of his prime examples of painting a world because it all feels real, even though it has to do with, you know, you know, psychics. Well, and that's the thing. It is all real. Johnny is the only supernatural element in the novel. And it's like, it's like Dr. Manhattan for the dead zone. Right. It, it, it's like this idea that everything else is real world. It's you can, empath nothing is, is outlandish or supernatural or horror. Like the only thing that makes it supernatural is Johnny's ability. Mm. And and he doesn't need – and even his villain is just a terrible, awful politician. Like th that is who his ultimate antagonist ends up being. There's nothing supernatural about Stilson. He's just a bad dude. 
And mm. it, and I think once again, that is once again kind of Stephen King's ability. And I and I talked about this. I think I talked about it, and you I, you probably agreed with me. And, and when we talked about The Shining and and Doctor Sleep, about Stephen King's ability to unlock the horror in real life. Oh, that's a. I don't know if we said. I don't know if we said those words. And if I titled episodes things, I think I would call it that because that I unlocking the horror in real life, which honestly, life can be actually pretty horrifying, and most people don't want to be reminded of that. They want to escape into a book and be enthralled. And I've had some pretty horrible stuff happen in my life, and but I still am drawn to these stories because even though his world is real and he draws to the horror of the real world, I can still look at this and be like, this book's about a psychic, and I'm amused by that. And I can take it, and I can... So you can almost look at it either way as pure fantasy escapism that feels real, or you can look at it as realism with a hint of the absurd. Or uh, a hint of the phantasmagorical, and uh, I think that's really the ver- that that's really where the versatility of King comes from, where he 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 can write for both audiences, in, and please and somehow please everyone. And I think that's why the Dead Zone does make it into the upper echelon of his books, because you had even talked about how some of his books where he leans too much into the genre and not enough in the characters or the real world aspects are those books that lost you. And I feel like Firestarter. Right. Yeah. yeah. Firestarter was the prime example I remember you talking about. So this is one where he plays to his strengths. Or, or or what makes him a more uh, engaging writer is that though this is the real world with just uh, uh, just shade notched up. You know, it, it, mm-hmm. it, we recognize this world, and we're just going to put a tweak into it to make it into a horror novel. Which this isn't even really a horror novel. This is more just kind of like a supernatural thriller. Yes, I would not. Cl- I would not classify this book as a horror book. Actually, many of his books are not horror books. I think that some of his early ones are, and that's where he got classified as this horror writer. But many of them are not. They're they're um, they're they're they can be creepy or macabre. But I wouldn't even classify Dead Zone as macabre. I would. It's it's almost a political thriller. Oh, absolutely. Well, it, it's many things because you've got the political thriller that it eventually becomes, but then you've also got the, you know, the serial killer mystery that happens in the middle of the book, or mm. the sort of family drama with Sarah and his mom and his dad and all that, like almost soap opera aspect, at, you know, at the beginning of the book, and. And, I, and that was another thing that struck me on this reread is the almost episodic nature that the book takes uh, with sort of the Stilson arc. It's like these are the episodes, but here's the season, which I thought was kind of funny because I was going, well, then it seems so appropriate that they did turn it into a TV show because it kind of works. You know, it's funny when I was reading it and like, it, like the serial killer bit and all that I was like, I can see this as a TV show. I get why this why USA was very successful, even just with like this bit right here without even finishing the book. I get it. 
Um, I wonder what they actually. I wonder what the osmosis of this of this book was. Do you think it started as like I want to write a book about a psychic, or I want to write this book about like the political machine and the everyman rising to meet that challenge, and then, uh, and then who? And he also happens to be psychic. I wonder where that. I wonder where that play. Well, like the that juxtaposition came from, and I, w- I wonder where um, w- where the origin of the story is. I guess I I would like because this is not a book I've ever really heard him talk about that with. Like other books, there are certain books that like he kind of he, he kind of has told the story enough that like it's just kind of in the zeitgeist about the origins of different books. But this is a book that, strangely enough, I feel like even though there's been a successful movie and a successful TV series made about it, I still feel like this is kind of a sleeper amongst his um, his mm-hmm. bibliography. Yeah, I agree with I agree with you because like when people talk about his when you say like oh Stephen King, people will always go oh The Shining. Oh, Carrie. Oh, Salem's Lot. The I'm Stand. Like, are, are, the Stand. I'm like those are his like first four books. Like, guy's been writing for decades, you know, and then they like jump up to Pet Cemetery, and then they, you know, maybe they'll skip to, oh, I don't know, Hearts in Atlantis or something like that, and they'll be like, all right, well, that's it. But then like people forget that he wrote Shawshank Redemption, he wrote The Green Mile, and they go, oh yeah, that is Stephen King, and you're like, yeah, not horror stories. I mean, horrible in their own ways, like. Ooh, man, Andy Dufresne doesn't have a good life. However, he gets one, sort of, probably. Don't want to spoil it for people who don't know. Um, yeah, it's true. I'm even. I'm just looking at my King collection right here. And, like, who talks about needful things or the Tommyknockers? Uh, you know, the, well, I talk about the Tommyknockers only because I'm old enough to have watched the ABC miniseries. Oh, me too. Oh, me too. <laughs> Oh, it! I knew I was forgetting one. I I was like, "There's a really famous one that everyone talks about." It, of course, you know, probably outside of The Shining, his most famous one. But I mean, I would argue, arguably, right now, I think it would be his most famous one. No, oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Neat little. You you mentioned needful things, and that just made me go. Uh, cool little trivia about the Dead Zone: uh, the first appearance of Castle Rock as one of his fictional locations. That's right. It is one of the that is one of the first locations. Oh man, do you watch Castle Rock, the, the television show? I am getting like it's it's on Hulu, and it's just one of those. I have Hulu, but it's just like of. I'm a teacher, man. You know how it is. It's like there's, yeah, man. There's there's mm-hmm. two. I'm behind on everything, but uh, Castle Rock is definitely one of those. I want to get there, and mm-hmm. I feel like it even will go so deep that even I won't get some of the references that it's making. And uh, but the idea that, you know, Castle Rock becomes one of those towns like Derry uh, that, you know, just uh, I mean, there's like Castle Rock, Derry and even in Dead Zone, they mentioned Jerusalem's lot. So it's just another mm-hmm. one of those. Yep. We are firmly in the King multiverse in this book. I love it. I love it. Well, I mean, it's even fun if you speaking of like authority, you know, and, and Stephen King, you know, like um Castle Rock is based on his hometown. Derry is based off of Bangor, where he lives now. And Jerusalem's Law is somewhere in the middle, I guess. But I they, I think they feel real because they're real. You just changed the name. 
but that's it. Everything else is there. Um, and I, I, that's really, and I arguably that works for the dead zone because a lot of it is, it, it's real because it is, it just has a psychic twist with, you know, a couple of added bonuses, I guess, I guess we can call them without spoiling too much. But, um, Scott, uh, do you have any final thoughts because we are at about time? Um, I, I'm excited that you, whenever I recommend a book to someone, it brings me no, it brings me untold pleasure that it was a successful recommendation. And I am just so glad that this worked for you because you, you never know what struck you about a book will will strike another reader the same way. Who doesn't have the relationship with it that you have. And so I can just say kind of once again, kind of like The Shining when I finally like browbeat you into reading the book. It was just like, you know, take your medicine. And I just just and I I'm happy for you that this worked out the way that I hoped it would. I I might have even worked out better than you thought. But like this Dead Zone jumped up to top i would say top three maybe four on my on my stephen king reading list like it really hit me and i don't it's not really the type of story that i would particularly go for at any point and maybe that's why maybe that's why i liked it so much but you know you're it's right up there with the shining in pet cemetery like it's just awesome i loved it so now I now I'm gonna now I'm gonna have to browbeat you to make sure you watch the Cronenberg movie. I can do that. I mean, as you said about Castle Rock, I am behind, and so and I know I know that movie's not going anywhere anytime soon. So neither am I. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I will. I'll get there. Not that it's so funny because it's not that I'm not interested. It's just that there are there are priorities. So you know, necessary responsibilities i should say not even priorities so but anyway scott thank you so much for coming on you are more than welcome to come back at any time i of course um under your other recommendation read the jedi academy trilogy and so we could talk about that at any point i don't remember many details from it now because it was a while ago but um we were more than welcome to talk about that um and any other plethora of books that you have you have read and loved or hated and at least experienced <laughs> you know what you know what i would you know what i would love for whenever i pop back up on the show i would love for you to basically to assign me something cuz i i oh. cuz i feel like this is like literally the last two times i've been here have been stephen king <laughs> and i feel like it's been kind of my influence and i would love for you to hand me one and go read this <laughs> report back i could do that hold on i got i please i read 111 books in 2019 i can throw i can throw something at you <laughs> hold on una memento por favor let me see. La la la. Uh, 119. I only read 153. I didn't make my goal. 153. How many of those, out of curiosity, how many of those are graphic novels? Um, Actually, not as many, which is why I didn't make my goal. My goal was 190 because I didn't read as many graphic novels last year. Mm. I'm very behind on the graphic novels, which is um, 
good, you know, for regular novel reading, but bad because I have a lot of graphic novels to read. I read two really big books last year, like seven, eight hundred page books, and that kind of yay for me really put a din on my numbers. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, Scott, I got one for you. Okay. Because I would like to I would like to talk about it and it's um yeah, I would like to talk about this. Uh, it's called Paternus, P-A-T-E-R-N-U-S. I've already Dirk bought it. Ashton. Oh, did you now? Yes, because See. you recommended – you have actually already recommended it to me, and it is sitting on my iPhone in my Audible app. I am, I am on it. Well, there you go. Well, there are two more. It's a trilogy, and the third one's coming out real soon, so I'd like to get, I'd like to get on that. Um, I will think about, I will think about what else to have you read. I actually would recommend I Am C-3PO by Anthony Daniels. I just read his little memoir about being C-3PO and it's excellent. Uh, I would like to talk about that with somebody, but I could also talk about that on my own. So I don't know. I will come back to you. Um, I will come back to you on, on that. We'll see. I don't know. There's so there's so many that I've read that I know you've read. So I've been on a huge Star Wars book kick lately. So I, I don't want to do like 20 episodes of read up on Star Wars novels that came out 20 years ago. I know because so, it it's been 20 years since I've read them. <laughs> right. Because I was I mean, reading I them could, like those were like those were day one purchases for me back in the 90s. So uh, I mean, I could tell you to read Vector Prime, New Jedi Order, because I just finished it yesterday. But, you know, I'm not going to do that to you. I'll give you something new to read. Thank you. Yeah, I'll come up with something. Don't worry. Don't you? I'm thinking of stuff even that I, like, read, like, I teach in school that maybe you haven't read yet. Like, have you read Sold by Patricia McCormick? Uh, No, I have not. Oh, it's excellent. Like, did I do an episode on Sold is the real question. Do you remember? Because uh, I don't. Um, it has not been published yet. If, if you've done one, it has not been aired. Oh, that means I didn't do one. So, okay, Scott, that's your that's your actual assignment. I'm going to – I'm putting my, my foot down on that. I, okay, Sold. Sold by Patricia – Sold by Patricia McCormick. And it is um it is a it is a story about a girl from Nepal whose uh uncle or her no not her uncle, her stepfather sells her into prostitution for gambling money. And it's about her story from Nepal into India into prostitution rings. And it's actually meant for young adults, so it's not too um it's not it's not too graphic. It's certainly sad. It's not too graphic, but it is one of the most powerful books I've ever read and I I think I've read it about four or five times now. Um so I'm going to recommend that because I'm going to teach it in a class in a couple a couple of weeks and so uh so it would be fresh in my brain. So awesome. I would like you to read that please. It is uh, it is it, done. And, and and since I am a middle school teacher, this is not far beyond the the level of literature I'm used to reading anyway. No, you'll. It's like uh, the content is slightly too mature for middle school, but it is uh, readable like middle school. So, or like advanced middle school, I'd say. It's 
it's not complicated, but it's the content that really makes it. It's told from her perspective, and she kind of writes these like little poems sometimes, and you know, in the middle of all of this tragedy, and it, it's really it's structured really well. I'd like to talk about it with like an English brain. Um, so yeah, that's it. You're on sold. The next Scott episode done. Cool. All right, Scott, tell everyone where they can find you so I can then put the little tag at the end where people can find me so I don't have to say it every time. <laughs> well, you can find me on Twitter at ScottDC27. You can also find me on Vero uh, at Scott McClellan. And, of course, you can find my podcast at DC Film Squadcast on Twitter, on Facebook, on Vero, and at our website, which is still www.suicidesquadcast.com because changing, an, a, changing a web address is a pain in the butt. Sure is. Sure is. Well, thank you for that, Scott. Thank you for coming back on. We'll see you in a couple of episodes, I'm sure, because I like to take big, long breaks. Because you know what? Reading books is t- takes time, people. There's no <laughs> no regular schedule here. So, um, But anyway, Scott, thanks for coming on. You're welcome back at any time. Thank you, Tim. You have been listening to Read Up, the podcast where we talk about books intellectually and stuff. You can find ReadUp on Twitter at ReadUpPodcast and the host at TimothyPG13. Rate and review ReadUp on iTunes and listen on any place podcasts can be found. Head over to Patreon.com slash ThoughtBubbleAudio to support all of your favorite ThoughtBubbleAudio podcasts. You can find all of the ThoughtBubbleAudio programs at ThoughtBubbleAudio.com. Until next time, have a good read. <laughs>